Welcome to Dismantling Injustice. Today we're talking to Tosca Davis and Cedric Smith of To Be Us Productions, producers of a documentary called To Be Us To Work. The documentary explores the experience of Black folks in the workplace, and I have to say it's so relatable. Um, the stories um, told in the documentary, so many of them capture my experience in professional environments throughout my career. Tosca, Cedric, and I talk about the impact of what's called weathering on Black health, on Black lives, and we talk about our collective future. So when we come back, I'll be joined by Tosca and Cedric. Welcome back. As I mentioned, today we are joined by Tosca Davis and Cedric Smith of To Be Us Productions, and we're talking about the impact of um, what's called weathering on Black bodies um, and our collective future. And so just to start, uh, Tosca, Cedric, thank you for joining us. Would you just tell us a little bit about yourselves and um, the work you do at To Be Us Productions? Okay, great. I'll start. Um, again, my name is Tosca Davis, and I am a filmmaker now. Um, I'm from Mobile, Alabama, and I've lived in Houston, Texas for about 20 years. I had a short stint as a social worker. That's another story. Um, and uh, after that, I started working in community relations, uh, working in nonprofit organizations. And, you know, most currently, I have worked in research doing data collection. So I kind of did a, a jump. Um, mostly because of uh, racism. <laughs> um, but what I love is storytelling. I love film. I love TV. I love, um, you know, books. We, you know, I didn't take any film classes. And, you know, some people may say, oh, it shows when I watch the film. But we, you know, we made the film based on the fact that, you know, we love film and uh, didn't get any training about it. It's that just being a viewer of film and loving something, I feel like you can create art. And I feel like that's what we did. And uh, my name is Cedric Smith. I'm the other part of 2BS Productions. Uh, also, the co-producer of To Be Up to Work, alongside uh, Tosca and the uh, uh, director as well, co-director as well. And my story: I was born in Houston, raised in Dallas, Texas. Uh, went to high school at Dallas Carter High School, very well-known school uh, from an athletic standpoint. Uh, I was very athletic in, in high school, but I was also kind of a nerdy type as well. So I had like kind of a right and left brain working. Uh, ended up going to Hampton University undergrad. Uh, on a golf scholarship. Uh, I kind of gave up football and went on a golf scholarship and had a pretty good career there. My dreams and aspirations was to be a professional golfer. That was that was what I dreamt of being. Uh, unfortunately, at 21 years old, uh, being black in the United States of America, being a black man and having the parents that I have that grew up in Jim Crow, you have the opportunity to uh, go to medical school versus to be a professional golfer. Uh, your parents are going to look at you and say, uh, I think you need to go the uh, medical route. So I did that. I ended up going to medical school. Uh, very difficult, to be honest with you, because, you know, I think anytime you don't follow what's passionate to you, it can make it a little more difficult. I was smart enough to do it. I'm a very, uh, became a very good doctor, um, but I've always still had this sort of artistic side of myself. Um, I'm currently still a practicing physician, uh, looking to <laughs> retire from it soon, and wish I could do uh, 2BS production full time with Tosca. But you got to pay the bills, and uh, we're glad to be here on your show. So thanks for having me. What you're saying, it's, uh, you know, I was chuckling when you talked about, like, wanting to be a golfer, 
but you know, like your parents, like, nope, not happening. And that happened with my family. I wanted to be a singer and in my mind, okay, I'll be a singer, but you know, I'll keep like being a lawyer as a backup plan. And of course to them, it's like, no, 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 that's not how this works. <laughs> You're going to be a lawyer and then, you know, do the singing thing at karaoke night. <laughs> so, but um, thanks again for joining us. So um, as you um, alluded to, in 2020, 2BS released the documentary, 2BS to Work. Um, and it really holds a mirror up to the treatment of Black folks in the workplace. You know, the film talks about the impact of discrimination, of microaggressions in the workplace. Um, and it talks about the health consequences of racism. It brings up this term called weathering. So I guess to start, Cedric... As a doctor, can you um, just explain to us what weathering means? Sure. Weathering is a term uh, coined by uh, a very well-known social scientist, uh, Arlene Geronimus, who's probably done, I don't know, some 30 to 35 years worth of research around the topic. And there, there's somewhat of a duality to the word. If you think of weathering in the terms of, of how something is worn out, how something uh, goes through changes because of some kind of external factor. You think of, I don't know, the Grand Canyon and how the rock formations over millions of years through water and so forth eroded uh, away and, and developed this kind of rock formation. Well, when you think of weathering in that way, uh, you can think of it as, as far as like the oppressive systems that racialized groups or marginalized groups and under-resourced groups uh, feel as a, in regard to the sort of external uh, ism or oppression or classism that have a have a health impact and outcome uh, on the person that's experiencing it. The other part of the word weathering also, uh, uh, how Arlene Geronimus talks about the word weathering, is that it's also a way in which of in, how we endure things. You know, when you weathered the storm, or you weathered something that was impactful, but you got through it with this sort of resilience. Well, kind of combining those two, the external factors and the resilience, not only is it that the external factor is eroding you, but it's also this kind of hyper, hyper vigilance or a hyper uh, rigor of getting through it. For example, in the Black community, we often hear this, uh, and you kind of alluded to it earlier, this kind of, we have to be two to three times uh, better or five times better. My parents grew up in the, in, the, in the Jim Crow era. So we were always told, you gotta be five times better than the white person, you gotta do this. Well, that's a certain amount of expenditure that one has to go through to overcome. There's a very famous uh, civil rights activist, Fannie Lou Hamer, who Geronimus oftentimes uh, references where she has a famous saying, we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. She talks about how Fannie Lou Hamer when she was, you know, uh, poll tax, if you will, and having to take a, a test in order to vote in Mississippi, she failed it the first time. And one of her famous quotes was, I'll be back here every 30 days until I pass this test. Well, that sort of every 30 dayness, if you will, that frequency that she speaks of, I'm going to do this regardless, that type of effort weathers you. It has a health impact. It is going to be uh, more so what happens externally as opposed to just these, hey, uh, you know, eat right, uh, exercise every day. Uh, those things are good, but Geronimus would argue that 
It's about how society treats you more than how you treat yourself that is going to have the most impact on you health-wise. And, and that's what weathering is. Yeah, you know, and one of the things that resonated for me is like, even though the stories were different, this idea of weathering and this story of weathering, what you just mentioned, is really the story of so many of our lives as Black people, like having to like have that resilience to come back every 30 days and keep trying um, despite all of the barriers that we confront and the ways that it wears us down that often go unacknowledged, definitely by society, but that sometimes we don't acknowledge them until it's too late ourselves. Tosca, can you give us some examples of what causes weathering? What's, you know, and, and specifically what stories um, have you heard um, both in and outside of the workplace? Oh, great. Um, well, it's, I guess, being a Black person um, and having Black friends and family, uh, sometimes it's indistinguishable from your life, you know, <laughs> because society has normalized so much violence toward us. And so one of the reasons why we made the film is to, you know, place a mirror, you know, show people that it's not just them. Because I think in my experience, yes, I've talked to my friends and my family about racism and and um, discrimination, but it was just a normal everyday conversation because it's a normal everyday occurrence. Um, but I don't think we knew or know how heavily impacted our bodies are uh, when it comes to um, experiencing racism um, and discrimination. Uh, one of the main ways that Black folk um, experience weathering is to repeatedly see um, law enforcement murder us. Uh, even if we don't see it, even if we hear about it. So I, I don't think I've ever watched a uh, police uh, person murder us. I refuse to do it. We're also not getting justice. That is a double whammy. You know, that's the, the main thing that, that we see often. Um, and it doesn't matter how major or subtle it is, it's impacting our bodies. So subtle ways, you know, we call them microaggressions, a small, subtle thing um, that happens to impact us in a very large way. It also impacts us in a large way, systemically and structurally, um, because all of it adds up to us not getting, you know, promotions or us not uh, getting gigs or us not getting the things that uh, we deserve based on what America has promised, right? America has said, if you work hard, if you do these things, then you will you will prosper. And so what happens is that they continue to move the yardstick, right? They continue to move it. So you can't trust them. Um, um, you can't trust the structures and systems that are in place to protect us. And, and, and finally, just living in a country where we feel that we don't belong, well, we're made to feel like we belong. Some people may agree with that. We don't belong, so I'm going to leave. I'm going to move to the continent. But where we're made to feel like we don't belong in a country where our ancestors were actually the capital in capitalism is very harmful and very painful um, and, again, leads to, you know, negative and poor um, health outcomes. So everywhere you look as a Black person, when you walk out of your door, there is some, you know, threat, whether it's subtle or major, and that absolutely um, increases your likelihood, uh, negative and poor outcomes. Yeah, you know, I was talking to 
one of my white friends a few weeks ago, um, right after Tyree Nichols was killed, and I was explaining to them what they don't get. You know, when you talk about like being afraid of police, black people being worried about security officers in stores, like I don't think what people realize is like every time we go into a store, or at least for me, and I see a security officer, I know that person is there for me. They're like, they're there to make sure that I specifically don't do anything. And so, and, and, and in that moment, I'm often making a decision, okay, what mood am I in today? Am I in the mood to fight and have an argument or am I in the, or do I want to just let it be? And so that's just an additional stressor that I don't, I think often goes unacknowledged. And I think a lot of black people realize it. It's just, just a part of our everyday decision-making and thought process as we try to live our lives. It's like the security officer is there for us to watch out and make sure we're not doing anything. Um, and so, and this kind of leads me to my next question. Um, you know, the truth is we've been dealing with this, with weathering for 400 years now. And so I'm wondering if it's so common in such a part of our everyday lives, why is it critical for folks to understand the physical, psychological impacts of racism. Yeah, knowing knowing is liberating. You know, just as Tasha alluded to earlier, you know, uh, part of of the, the ethos of what we do at Two Up Productions is that we believe in naming things, right? Uh, in naming things, there's power in that, and that's the first step. You know, it's like kind of the first step in anything when you're dealing with some type of uh, uh, malady or, or or illness or something like that. Uh, the first thing is trying to understand exactly what it is you're dealing with, and so. Uh, even in the film, we die, we we give definitions of microaggression and lateral violence and weathering. These are the terms that are are in our film. And even to the participants in the film, we saw that there was some liberation for them in that they were able to kind of see other people's stories that they did not see. Uh, even when we did a screening for them, mm-hmm. um, uh, you would be surprised. Uh, Jonathan, who was one of the first uh, storytellers in our film. I remember specifically when we had a screening for our participants, he was like, I can't believe that all these other people were going through the same things I was going through. He thought he literally was like, I can't believe I thought as a boilermaker uh, and laborer that I was just experiencing this. But hearing the, the stories of the educators, the academicians, the doctor, the, you know, on and on and on. Mm-hmm. People, he was he was literally surprised that like y'all are going through this, too. And that in and of itself offers some healing uh, to the process of dealing with what we have to deal with as well. So I think uh, just in short, I think part of dealing with this weathering, part of dealing with this oppressive system is that we don't hold the keys to abolish it. We, you know, we didn't create it. You know, uh, That's not our burden. I don't think the burden of the oppressed is the one that should be the one to dismantle the system that is oppressing them. Um, but what we can do uh, in incremental ways is turn toward each other in community, making safer spaces for each other, making safer, space, safer spaces for each other and making community with one another where we're not living in these sort of uh, silos or in this kind of uh, mode of individualism, but breaking those individualistic barriers down and turning toward each other to, to, to live in, you know, in reciprocal ways and mutual ways uh, to help us kind of get through this, if you will. 
Yeah, and, and Tosca, I'm gonna. I know you want to jump in, but I'm, I'm also gonna turn to you with a second part of this question um, that Cedric alluded to, which was just you know like the liberation aspect and like hearing the stories of others does in some ways help address the impacts of racism. I know, like when I watch the film, like even though I know, like it's something that I know intellectually, I know that other people are going through this. But um, for me, even in the nonprofit world where, you know, we like to pretend that we're in like this like social justice bubble where there's no racism, that where all of the, you know, all the problems that exist outside of our office um, aren't present um, internally. It's something that I've experienced. Um, and so Tosca, um, you know, I, you can jump in on the question I just asked Cedric, but also I wanted to ask, um, you know, what role... Um, do you think storytelling plays in addressing the impacts of racism? We're all saying liberation, right? I, I, that is my that is my term. Um, relief. Um, I can't even, uh, you know, behind the scenes, during the scenes, people, you know, literally, you know, bowed over and hunched over and, and sighed and took a deep breath after telling their stories. Uh, so liberation and relief and just being able to breathe is a, is a major component to, you know, why we made this film. Um, also, no one had ever asked them to be recorded, to have their story recorded. In uh, West Africa, uh, these are called griots. You know, I feel like we are griots. We uh, we are recording for history, uh, mm-hmm. just in case. Because remember, you know, I'm in Texas. <laughs> if our information is recorded, you know, no one can take that away from us. And so that that's the importance of storytelling, too, is to have a historical marker of this actually happened to us. The other thing I want to bring up is how validating and invalidating it is to have white people coin terms. Okay, we have we know so much about ourselves. We we have um, experienced so many of our family and friends dying early. We know that black people die early. We know that we are being harmed in in health and medical uh, facilities. We know that doctors don't listen to us. We know these things, Mm -hmm. but not until a white person comes around and validates Mm -hmm. and affirm what we say. Does America say, well, okay, well, let's listen, you know, um, and still there's pushback. So we don't right. even, we don't even get to have our stories validated. Um, so I just wanted to make that note that indigenous people all over the world, including our ancestors, know everything and knew everything. And until white people, you know, picked up a pen and, and write books, you know, some of the best selling books we have right now on race are by white people, um, where black people can't even get a speaking engagement. And the amount of the amount that white people are being paid to speak about our trauma is amazing. So <laughs> um, so yep. that's why we wanted to make a film. We created a safe space. We know that part of our trauma and part of the violence that we experience is being part of the white gaze, being studied, being um, observed, being profiled. And so we want to make sure we had uh, a space we filmed in a, a historical um, African-American theater. Everyone that was looking back at them, they were black, okay? Camera people, you know, um, Cedric, me, you know, everybody that was 
there was a Black person. And when you feel that someone is listening, that's absolutely going to lower your stress levels and your cortisol levels. Um, Also, the importance of going back to community, like Cedric said. Um, From my understanding, and I want people to understand that, you know, I'm a filmmaker, so they may want to look this up. From my understanding, Indigenous people, especially on the continent, they healed within community. Uh, Going to barbershops, going to, you know, uh, hair salons, talking to our friends, uh, sharing their experiences. That has been a part of Indigenous society is healing a community. So, so, you know, to answer your question is why is it important? It's it's important for us to hear ourselves, to see ourselves uh, outside of the white gaze. Like Like Cedric said, like I said, we just wanted to make a film for liberation. We wanted to make a film that centered Black people. There are so many films that um, talk about our trauma, talk about the violence toward us, and they were made by people who were not Black. And we can tell that they were made palatable. We can tell by the simple fact that the term white people is not even mentioned. <laughs> white supremacy is not mentioned. Um, and when you name the culprits, like Cedric said, that is so freeing. We have also been told not to be angry. And an appropriate response to how we've been treated and how we've been made to feel is anger. And we are not even allowed to do that. And I I, I want to apologize up front. Someone wrote an article, and I'll, when I find it, I'll send it to you, about how Black people aren't even able to experience fight or flight when stopped by police. We have to repress our, you know, natural uh, response, which is fear. We don't even get to be fearful so we won't be murdered. Do you understand how ridiculous that is? Okay. That's also going to lead to, you know, poor outcomes that we're not able to express ourselves. So, you know, that that's our answer. This is This is why storytelling is important for us liberation is is the main word here. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, our options are limited. We can't fight. We can't flight. Arguably, even if we freeze, we're not going to, you know, we're at risk. We're standing still. So the only thing we can do is try to appease an officer. And even then, there's a 50-50 chance. So um, uh, we're recording this during Black History Month. This year, we've done quite a few episodes. And, and I've been thinking about, um, you know, like how necessary physical health is um, for just the future of our communities. And so, Cedric, this question is is largely for you. Um, but looking, looking to the future, are there ways that we can address weathering um, both individually, but also systemically? I think there's a a lot of unlearning that I think is going to be liberating to a lot of people if they're given access to things that center uh, what Tasha talks about, the liberation and understanding of yourself and understanding of these isms and systems that are eroding you or impacting you. That in and of itself, uh, I believe, helps your total mental health and your physical health. And I want to add um, to that, there's an increasing number of activity and nature groups uh, for us Mm -hmm. Black folks, uh, like Girl Trek. Those types of activities are 
absolutely, you know, good for the soul and good for some protection from living under capitalism. Moving your body, going out into nature and being with your your sister girls, being with your 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 men friends, being with people who you love and people who love you, and being able to experience a world outside of capitalism. And mm-hmm. I put that in quotes. There's nothing outside of capitalism in the U.S. But uh, to be able to, you know, you know, hike. And and I say that I'm not. I mean that literally meaning there there are even instances of experiencing racism when you're hiking because remember white people believe they own everything they own the trails they own the trees they own everything so absolutely black folks have experienced racism while trying to commune with nature um so it's good to go you know with a group of people and i do believe that protects uh your heart protects your soul protects your uh being um also there are many therapists who now understand that they are they are needing to decolonize their therapy that's another way that you can start to heal and i i do not believe that you can heal in the same place that you are harmed so i believe that you can start to heal i believe that you can um you know do the best that you can living in this country i just don't know if it's it can happen unless systems and institutions change you know all of your advice is just perfect um you know like and again you know we can't even bird watch in peace these days <laughs> no <laughs> but we still that shouldn't prevent us from at least trying to go out and experience nature especially with the group um that you know that makes us feel safe and that we feel a sense of kinship with um so thank you for that advice um so my last question is um you know how can folks find your work how can folks support your work um obviously i would recommend that everyone watches the documentary. Um, if nothing else, just for like, for healing. Like sometimes for me, like hearing stories that resonate, hearing stories like mine makes me feel less alone and gives me a sense of healing, even if it's temporary. Yeah, we we are on, um, I mean, you go to our website, tobeusproductions.com, T-O-B-E-U-S productions.com. Our film, To Be Us to Work, is streaming currently on Amazon Prime Video, and that's where you can go and purchase the film and stream it. Um, And then uh, we also have a website, workingwhileblack.com, where we want to kind of continue the conversation in regard to people who have, uh, obviously, stories out there. So that's that's the way you can support us. We we often get questions about, why didn't you make a Working Wild People of Color film? It would have been a, a better film. We're like, no, we want to center Black stories. It is okay to center us. It is okay to tell our stories. We we sleep very well at night knowing that we put uh, a film together that hits the bullseye of, of what we wanted to achieve in our intentionality. Uh, so again, it's tobeusproductions.com is where you can find us. And the, the film is To Be Us To Work that is streaming currently on Amazon Prime Video. That's fantastic. And it's interesting hearing like, you know, some of what, like the behind the scenes, Um, you know, when I read your backgrounds, I was looking for, okay, well, where do they go to film school? Like what's their film background? And I was was like, oh, they'll tell me during the interview. And I'm so surprised that, you know, like you don't have like an extensive filmmaking background because it's so good. And I think that that just kind of goes to like anyone else out there that wants to tell our stories and wants to, you know, like figure out how to get it out in a specific medium that you don't have to have gone to an expensive film school to do it. You can, this is something that I'm 
you can learn yourself and that you can do yourself. So, you know, I want to thank both of you for just offering offering this documentary, offering this creation to our community and and putting it out there, offering it to the to the world. Um, and for just the fantastic work that you're currently doing and that's ahead. Um, so thank you so much for joining our podcast. And thank you, listeners, until we're all free. Peace out. Thanks again for joining us. Dismantling Injustice is brought to you by Envision Freedom Fund, an organization that works to transform the immigration and criminal legal systems while meeting the critical needs of individuals impacted by these systems daily. To learn more about our work and donate, visit us at envisionfreedom.org. That's envisionfreedom.org. Dismantling Injustice was created by Sally Israel. Our executive producer is Abigail Wolf. This podcast is produced and engineered by Yassi Solutions and hosted by Carl Hammett Lipscomb. That's me. Special thanks to the team at Envision Freedom for being amazing. Until we're all free, peace out.